This week on Another Brother. This is like the pinnacle of nerdiness, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I've always thought of it that way. Yeah, that'd be kind of easy. You could be like Frodo and just be like, oh, no. (laughs) All the time to everything. Sammy Sam. Samwise. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was so much. Why do you choose the gelatinous one? Well, my, my history of it is really from Onward, the Pixar movie. Mm-hmm. And it was a thing to greatly be feared. Yeah. So his character doesn't want to Oh, be his character doesn't want to. How do you know? You don't you wow. have met your character. You guys started real quick this is just a quick tangent before we get into the actual students for today sorry yeah I, i'm gonna have to cut you off right here even fine. just for that for people that are still confused oh, we yeah. call the first segment of this show stew nerds as a play on stewart jared literally asked last about name. this today oh really <laughs> yeah. stew nerds because we just nerd out about whatever we feel like in the first segment Go on, Jacob. I think you get it, brothers. Okay, so this just happened to Heather and me two nights ago. I don't know if you guys even know. We were down in Bryce Canyon with Heather's whole family. We left the our Airbnb at like 1030 to go to the rim of the canyon to go stargazing. Hmm. So okay. we had just got out of the truck. We're walking towards the rim. And we, I, <laughs> we saw an orb. No, no. Like it had to have been. Now, of course, you're like, oh, no. Jake saw it too. And just like, oh, look at someone's laser pointer or something like that. It was a single focused ball of light. What Where? color? Down in the canyon. Okay. It was yeah, what color? Bright white. That's not a laser. No, it's not a laser. I don't know of any lasers that <laughs> do white. There was no a- RGB lasers that are just a white beam, right? And there was no beam to it. It was just a single point of light right single source was it as moving around like a fairy it just zoomed by oh like and it was quick so it couldn't be like a trail runner with a headlight no 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 this was suspended in the the air in the middle of what up you know above the canyon so probably like was it dark out could it have been something black they were going start oh this is is one of those certified uh dark skies areas you know right. oh. the country only has so many bryce canyon is one yeah. of them oh right good to know. could it have been a quadcopter so i mean it? if it if it had if mm. they had removed or disabled their red and green lights mm-hmm. to show you orientation mm-hmm. and if they put a spotlight on it or sort a, a point light so it was it. okay so describe it didn't make a sound describe the light i mean like what did it what did the so it was a <laughs> it was a sphere of light so, like, no blurring around the edges of this sphere. Or, you know, uh, I mean, it, is it crisp, crisp yeah, delineation why between Why the do light? you call it a sphere? What about it makes you say it was a sphere? Because it was a ball of light. Yeah. Well, yeah just but you look, a, you look at a... I mean, it was so fast, right? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, at the least there was motion. There would have been perceived motion blur. Mm-hmm. But it just, it zoomed by. A uh, straight path, no deviation. Yeah. Crazy. If it was uh, curved, it was subtly and just looked like a straight line. Yeah. yeah. How, how, how 
far? You said it was like out in the middle of canyon, uh, the canyon. Yeah, so, so it wasn't actually off? in the middle. It was, I mean, maybe like, like 100 feet from us. Oh, that's pretty close, actually. So, oh, it was, it was, I, I'll say 50 to 100 feet. It was quite close. That's very close. How yeah. big was it? Was it little then? I mean, wait, what? You know, maybe basketball size from that far of a distance away. That tracks with um, the blue orbs on the ranch. They suggest the blue orbs that they see are kind of like volleyball to basketball size. Mm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what they do. Mm-hmm. Okay, but those are blue. Meanwhile, the red orbs are smaller. They're more like grapefruit. Grape. Sorry. What? Grape. Grapefruit. <laughs> don't, don't bring cryptids into this now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, grapefruit. Yeah. So I don't. I, Softball size. The, the distance it was, I think it would have been larger than that. So again, I interesting. It felt like an orb sighting. I'm such a, a skeptic. I can't really 100 percent claim it was an orb. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know what it would have been logically. Mm-hmm. And you can ask Heather about it offline. You can. What's wait? Oh, so I'm sorry. Heather's well, gonna diss it. What's no? Yeah. Heather's with me. She doesn't know what the heck that would have been. You said you don't know what else it would be logically. What's so illogical about? In orbs these days. <laughs> if it was 100 to 50 feet away and it was a drone, you would have heard yes. oh, a yeah. drone. Yeah, and there was Clearly. no sound. And those aren't crazy fast. They can be. Really? They can be very Racing fast. drones are ridiculous. That's a thing? Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, welcome to the 2020s. Jeez oh. Louise. <laughs> okay, anyway, that took longer than I meant. It just wasn't big enough to be uh, uh, its own. Yeah. Second segment, segment. Sure, sure. so and it was so fresh. I, just, I had to tell you guys about. It. All right, so okay, recorded event recorded. Wait, yeah, we'll yes. see if we I actually understand. do keep this recorder. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we were planning to talk about Dungeons and Dragons this week. This is like the pinnacle of nerdiness. I think <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought of it that way. So I wanted to start off with defining what Dungeons and Dragons is. Not like something that would go in a dictionary necessarily, but most people don't know what Dungeons and Dragons is. I I, I want to do this because I'm the one that's played the most, I think. Absolutely. For the Definitely. longest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Easily. <laughs> have the most D&D playing friends, probably. So if you guys have any questions along the way or comments, please do interject. But Dungeons and Dragons is a set of rules that allows you to play a tabletop role-playing game. There are other sets of rules that allow you to play, but all of the games that allow you to do this kind of gameplay are collectively known as tabletop role-playing games, or TTRPGs. Oh. So Dungeons & Dragons is not a fantasy setting. It is just a group of rules. But you could also say that it is a specific group of settings where you can play. Because within the Dungeons & Dragons brand, you have the Forgotten Realms, which is the setting that everyone thinks of when they think about Dungeons & Dragons. And most people, that's the realm they play in, right? I don't know for sure, but I would... I would believe so. Probably yeah. the most material that I'm they sure. build around it as well. And yeah, so. right. Okay. It's a high fantasy. Stranger Things. Is this the realm that they were yeah. playing? Yeah, it sure mm-hmm. seems like it. Yeah, for sure. It's a high fantasy setting. Lots of dragons. <laughs> lots of dungeons. <laughs> <laughs> lots of magic. 
That's what yeah. makes it a high fantasy setting is that it's there's a lot of magic. Magic's all over the place. But there's also, oh shoot, what is that one called? Gray something. Gray school. No, that's what I Gray more thinking about. Don't try to. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's another setting that's a low fantasy setting that is Dungeons and Dragons where there's not a lot of magic. So magic items or magic weapons, not very common in, mm. in that setting. Some people love it. Okay, this so is guns. No, no guns. Just swords. Yeah, it's still fantasy. Low, oh, but it's low fantasy. Low fantasy, my bad. It would be a little bit more like um, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings. Much? Could be. I've never watched Game of Thrones. Oh no, yeah, there probably is. <laughs> pro- there's probably a lot of magic. We obviously don't know. Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, there's some magic. I just don't know how much. There's plenty of mm, dragons. There's dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's still. Well, I'm not sure actually, because I've never played in that setting. Um. Uh. But I think you might think of it a little bit more like the the Souls games, Dark Souls oh. set of video games where it's more about like this grim medieval setting with not a lot of magic. Oh, okay. what's that new game that I tried playing? Elden Ring. Elden Ring. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a lot of magic in that one. Oh. Yeah. That I never got far enough the... to experience magic. <laughs> <laughs> Magic's the most powerful way yeah. to play the game is what I understand. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> Okay, there's other settings that are really cool. Like, there's a futuristic one. Mm-hmm. I think, actually, I'm thinking of a Pathfinder setting, which is a different set of rules. Different Path- TTRPG? Yes, a different TTRPG. Pathfinder was a spinoff oh, okay. from Dungeons & Dragons. I thought it was oh, part of yeah. D&D, so that's good to know. Right, no. Uh, it was based on, I think... I don't want to say, because if we have any real nerds listening, they will... <laughs> Chew me up. Well, well, some, uh, I was going to say, I thought I remember seeing a, a set of YouTube videos on Pathfinder and it was very much more sci-fi-y and it really interested me. It's just, they, they have a setting called Starfinder that is, it is maybe that's pretty sci-fi. I think a lot of weapons are like, you know, laser-y weapons. There's guns, stuff. I yeah. think you get shields packs or something like mm. like you might in halo kind of a thing oh, i've never yeah. played it so i don't really know the specifics so some, some, oh, damn, <laughs> off the come on no, no no i was just waiting for you to make a noise <laughs> go for it go for it <laughs> so at some point i would like to talk about or not talk just see what the other settings are in dungeons and dragons mm-hmm. not necessarily on the podcast right like i've played lord of the rings Using fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons rules? I think so. I'm not. Yeah, I think so. There, I think there. If it's not official, it's practically official. People really love that. That was the most fun I had playing with Sheridan and his siblings. Was the Lord of the Rings, and I was a dwarf, and it was great. (laughs) That'd be kind of yeah. That'd be kind of easy. You could be like Frodo and just be like, oh no, (laughs) all the time to everything. (laughs) Sam, Sam, Samwise. (laughs) Yeah, I could get into that character. (laughs) (laughs) Alex was Alex was saying. He wanted to first explain what D&D is because most people don't truly know. Right. And he said, even us at the table, who we, we've all played with Alex and Lizzie plays with Jared and his family. So he said, even we might not actually know what it is. I didn't know about these other settings. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah to me, D&D is Forgotten this realms. single realm. Yeah. D&D isn't a set of rules of how to play tabletop RPG. It's this world. Thanks a lot, so Chris cool. Pine. Well, 
There have been a lot of such lies. <laughs> no, there's a reason why that movie was in the Forgotten Realms because it is the most popular. There, there are a lot of Dungeons and Dragons novels, hmm. and most of them take place in the Forgotten Realms. Most people do know that Dungeons and Dragons has been around since the 80s, but what they may not know is that there have been different updates to the rules, different yeah. versions of the rules since then. Actually, I think it might be around since the late 70s, but unofficially at that point. It was just something that the creator was doing with friends in his basement. And I think it was in his Is basement. Is that a capital unfortunately. C, the creator? Is uh, that the is creator. Gary Gygax. In D&D lore, is he the creator? No, he's Gary. Oh, hell, that <laughs> Has he written himself? No, I don't think oh, so. Oh, into it, he should. Dude, I, I don't he know. He should be the most powerful creature. He should be the gelatinous <laughs> the cube. Gary. <laughs> the, why, why would he be? That's kind of offensive, isn't it? <laughs> I thought it was so much. Why do you choose the gelatinous one? Well, my my history of it is really from Onward, the Pixar movie. Mm. And it was a thing to greatly be feared. Well, I mean, it is, yeah. really. They're pretty disgusting. <laughs> they can be used to great effect. It's like the blob. I don't know. What is the blob? Some old, old movie? Yeah, that really old, old one, black right? and white. Yeah, yeah it just seeps uh, into everything. I don't think yeah. it's... I think they're worse than the blob. But anyway, that's <laughs> a different topic. So right now, Dungeons & Dragons is on the fifth edition of the rules. And they tried to focus on simplicity of rules so that play is not so much about remembering all of the rules and the mechanics as much as telling a story and role-playing because that's what the game is supposed to quote-unquote be about but a lot of people like the game just for the mechanics and the combat and yeah. i think that's an equally legitimate way to play the game you know but telling the story is pretty cool if you can manage to get your head into a character and figure out who that character is see what, what they I would just want, want what they would do i just yeah. want to smash buttons and move joysticks <laughs> and then have it tell me what the story is oh. like the dm yeah well that is what the dm tell for. me the story so <laughs> you might be one of those players that's all about the mechanics and the combat yeah. so within dungeons and dragons there are different types of characters you can play that are broken down <sighs> I didn't think about what language to use for describing English. This, English. Well, yeah, okay. I'm not going to use Italian because I've never played Dungeons and Dragons in Italian. Uh, but you have a number of different really important decisions to make about who and what your character is when building your character from the beginning. Class is probably the biggest decider. Your class is like are you a fighter? Are you a wizard? Are you a barbarian, a monk, bard, cleric, paladin? And those bard, are, bard those is are, good. Those are defined by the rule set. Yes. So each 5e. of these classes has a name and a set of rules and abilities and upgrades as you level up that are unlocked according to the rule set. That is, in this case, 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. So that's that's the first big decision, I think, is the class. You're, the The next one is your... People are using different words for it nowadays. Um, ancestry, I think, is oh, the most yeah. current 
word for it right now. It right. was race. It, it was race. Okay, so yes. now okay, oh. which is stupid because it if it's anything, it's species. Species. Yeah. Okay. That that actually that's true. But that feels weird. I think to say species. Um, yeah. say Ancestry is fine. That's safe enough. And yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> this is a fantasy thing, so it's not exactly scientific. You can crossbreed any of these, which is why they call it ancestry. ancestry. You could be a half-human, half-elf, which has classically been called a half-elf. In Dungeons & Dragons, I'm not sure you can be a half-elf, half-orc. I think you can be half-human, uh, half-orc, or half-human, half-elf. But in Pathfinder, you can be half-anything, have anything else what about quarters <laughs> no i don't think so because you only have two parents well even even but in they have game. two parents <laughs> okay fair enough yeah <laughs> i i don't know i don't know man okay so that's ancestry yeah. right so we have class ancestry and background mm. background Dude, is like, like your what's my motivation like the backstory sort of like yeah. where did your character come from what kind of life did they come from were they uh, evil were they a charlatan? <laughs> no, not like evil. That's alignment. We don't talk about alignment anymore in tabletop RPGs. Wait, it's what? useless. Really? Yeah. It, I mean, it, unless you're a paladin, it's really just not important. No, because items, quest lines, certain things like motivation, line. I mean, again, this isn't line. really... Uh, what? what? <laughs> Cut that. This isn't... <laughs> this isn't Someone a, was supposed to feed him what to say next. This isn't a video game. So they try not to simplify things so much as alignment can alignment's just so constricting. Huh. If you need it to help you role play your character, then by all means yeah, use I feel whatever like it tools be built you need into the backstory. Right. Not necessarily. Sure. Yeah, I mean and it kind of is, but right. why shouldn't your character change as they experience life? Character development. Yeah. Cuz that's unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody Maybe changes these days. Uh, well, this isn't these days. Oh, yeah. Duh. Those are those days. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because this is a real thing in the past. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we don't have wizards anymore. So you can be like uh, an urchin. That's a common one. Oh. Like a street urchin, you know. Or a oh, charlatan. Right. Or uh, a guard. So if I remember right, though. Soldier. Based on the rule set also per... I don't know if it was ancestry or class, but there's like suggested backgrounds too, right? Yeah, right. Because with each of these three different choices, class, race, or ancestry, and um, background, they each have their own different things that they give your character. And so some races, it's, it's just such a habit for me because I've been playing long enough. Some ancestries, and actually, you know what? I think there's a new set of rules in Dungeons and Dragons for ancestry that I'm not really super familiar with that might not do this anymore. Part of the reason people had problems with race was that different races had very specific attributes. Like you were more dexterous as an elf mm -hmm. and more wise. All elves are more dexterous and more wise than other right. That's other what makes them elves. Ancestries. <laughs> Which people thought was racism, you know? What? No, it makes sense. It was just a way for them oh, to... For I mean, race, race versus species or ancestry. Is that why people were upset about it? Or have they gotten it, rid it of those? It was too close to real world racism, thinking that everybody of a certain kind is oh. exactly the same way. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because yeah. obviously the game designers and creators are just like, 
we need a way to try to stack stats differently so there's different ways to play right and they chose to attach it to what was then race and that's yeah that's so are you saying they've they've gotten rid of that i know pathfinder has mm. in in some way where like uh instead of getting a plus two to dexterity and plus one to wisdom you get plus two and plus one to whatever stats you want. I Except you can't don't... put the two and the one on the same stat. There's probably still whatever. suggested. But there are other things. Yeah, you're probably right about that. There are other things. For example, movement speed. Dwarves are sh- short and mm. slow because they they got tiny little legs. Yes. That is always the case. Okay. Dwarves are just slower than, than other people. But elves can now be peoples. dumb. <laughs> dwarves can be dumb elves, elves. elves yes. no longer by default get the wisdom oh, booster man. so they can well, be dumb so, so that's the other up. thing where I'm not so sure I agree with the racism criticism is that even though you get a plus two bonus to wisdom that doesn't mean your character is going to be a wise character because yeah. you get to choose the stats. <laughs> yeah. so, still some dumb dude behind that bonus. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why because it should be species, and species do have biological advantages over other species. Right, and they still do. They've gotten rid of the um, attribute. I should define what an attribute is, I guess. There are six attributes that make up a character in the game also, and these things determine what kinds of actions and things your character is good at and which ones they're bad at in the game. Okay. You have strength, constitution, dexterity, wisdom intelligence and charisma so a really dexterous character is going to be good at dodging fireballs and a really charismatic one is going to be really good at lying to people and so on so or getting good deals on merchant trades yes if you have a dm that will play that Mm way (sighs) i should define dm a dm (laughs) is a dungeon master there's one person that's in charge of the game that basically says what happens when everybody says i want to do this then they roll some dice or the character the player rolls some dice and the numbers i'm not doing a good job explaining this (laughs) (laughs) but there's lots of rules with lots of numbers involved to keep things a little more lively so that it's not just constantly success 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 okay oh you want to do that cool you did it awesome you're cool there's a little bit of randomness, a little bit of danger. So to recap, lots of dungeons, lots of dragons, <laughs> race is bad. We talk about ancestry now. Uh, you can be charismatic, but if you're not, when you're playing the character, it's probably not going to come off that way, and the DM is going to say no. And most importantly, elves can now be dumb. The DM will not say no. They'll say, you Show failed. Because oh, no. <laughs> you can try anything in D&D. Yeah. The, the DM that I've played with the most, that was his favorite thing to say. When someone says, can I do this? He will say, you can attempt anything in D&D. And then he tells you what you need to roll for. Yeah. Like what uh, skill you need to roll for. And you roll the die and, and there's add some... everything up. And he tells you whether you failed or succeeded. And there's Jared's sister who will smugly say, you can try. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> there are also, obviously, you, you'll encounter bad guys and have to fight them. That's another thing that the right, Dungeon Master does. He controls the movement, decisions, yeah. fighting, all the things that the bad guys do. Brothers, if you haven't watched the TV show Community, <laughs> they've got some killer D&D. They only have one killer left. D&D episode. You don't like the other one? 
they got rid of around. it. Oh, that one. Because Chang one. did Blackface. Well, I it's thought not, you were only talking about that one. It's not streaming. I think you can still sure. own yeah. it. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, Chang took that ancestry issue. Like, <laughs> yeah. No. So yeah. That, that, that brings up a good point. There are some people that want to dress up as their character when they play. Most people do not. Mm-hmm. There is no dressing up required to play Dungeons and Dragons. It's just people sitting around a table, sharing snacks, Have making it- a weird interactive story together. Most of the time, it's really silly. <laughs> Some yeah. Most people, I think, play really silly. But uh, it doesn't have to be. It can be anything you want. That's the cool part. It, it's, it's like video games, but way more free. Yes. So, like, when Heather and I first, I think, started dating, she asked me, well, like, what was the appeal of video games? Like, why do you care to play? Hmm. It's like, I, I said, like, well, think of it as like a movie. As you love movies, everyone loves movies. You just sit down and you watch this movie. It's a great escape tool of escapism, and you see these amazing things that you'd never see otherwise. In video games, I get to be the hero, I get to be the lead character and choose what paths and things I do in that movie. Mm-hmm. That's that's D D basically. You're choosing yeah. literally everything in this adventure that you're unfolding. My escape is I'm usually always the hero. So then when I play video games, I have the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at me wrong. Are you talking to me? Yeah. You, you can play D&D that way too. Uh, but I don't want to be on a jerk's team. No, no, no. It's the character's the jerk. <laughs> yeah. So, his character doesn't want to be on Oh, his character doesn't want to. How do you know? You, don't, you haven't wow. met your character you yet. You guys are opening up a new bag of topics that tabletop RPG players are always talking about. But we can talk about <laughs> that Naturals. another time. Ah, hey kids, do you know what time it is? Story time! Today's story time, I want to do something uh, slightly different. It's not one of my stories, but it's a pretty dang cool story that I heard recently. And I think it's a cool story for a lot of people to hear. But if you'll bear with me, I'm going to attempt to tell this story in reverse. So prepare yourselves. Why? <laughs> this could be a train wreck. What? All right. Speaking With of train wrecks. <laughs> is it a literal train wreck? No, that'd be awesome. <laughs> it's a train wreck of sorts. So, the year is 1781. The date is 19 October. Revolutionary War. American forces have finally defeated the British once and for all. On this day, the British surrender to American forces. And that surrender ceremony is a legend, but you might not know it. General Cornwallis... The British, the general of British forces, wasn't present for the surrender. He was supposedly ill. So his second in command, Brigadier General Charles O'Hara, was going to be the British representative to surrender to U.S. forces. Okay. The Brits still really did not like Americans. They thought they were inferior in every way. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So even though they were defeated... Brigadier General O'Hara attempted to surrender to the French general on the battlefield, Comte de Rochambeau. 
Okay. Rochambeau, rather than taking the surrender, pointed to George Washington and said, you surrender to the Americans. So the French really just digging it into the British. (laughs) George Washington's response was to point to his second in command and say, you can surrender to him. (laughs) To say, hey, bud, we're not on the same level. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where we get doing a Rochambeau or pulling a Rochambeau when you like jockey or someone's trying to get something out of you and and you just kind of spin them around. I only know somewhere else. I only know Rochambeau as another name for rock, paper, scissors. Think about it. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. No, I found that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's doing, yeah. Prior to that, it's doing a Rochambeau. Never heard this ever before. (laughs) Shanghai noon. Um, Oh yeah. (laughs) Okay. So that's where it comes from. Now that's the setting. Four years earlier, January 3rd, 1777, American forces are battling the British during the Battle of Princeton. U.S. forces are battling General Charles Cornwallis' forces. And although the American forces win, once Washington brings his reserves into the battle, laying dead on the battlefield is a U.S. general named Hugh Mercer. Hugh Mercer, by many accounts, was actually George Washington's secondhand man. He was a very close friend of George Washington, and he was, by trade, an apothecaryist and a trained surgeon. And unfortunately, while leading his troops in the Battle of Princeton against General Cornwallis, he succumbed to wounds and died. So that was January 3rd, 1777. Just eight days prior to that, on Christmas morning, do you know what happens? Christmas Day of 1776? No. You know that? Um, George Washington crossing the Delaware under the guise of night on Christmas Day. I feel dumb now. To gain gain an advantage on the British. So there's, um, I've only heard it in spoken folklore, But the idea to launch that raid in the middle of the night was Hugh Mercer's idea. Uh. And surprisingly to him, George accepted the plan and said, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's figure out how to make it work. And they did. And because of that, and because of that victory eight days later, despite Hugh's own demise, that was enough to convince a lot of American colonists that Washington was a good general mm. and they could ultimately defeat the British. And so that was an that was a drive towards enlistment and support. And ultimate victory came four years after that. And then ultimate victory was four wow. years later. Rewind a little bit more. Before the start of the American Revolutionary War, Hugh Mercer is living in Fredericksburg, Virginia, which is the hometown of George Washington. And in Fredericksburg, Hugh Mercer sets up an apothecary and starts dealing medicine to American colonists. This is pre-revolutionary war. One of Hugh's patients is George Washington's mother. And in fact, Hugh even purchases George Washington's old family home. And it's a huge estate. He has plans to um, settle down, you know, with his apothecary as his business and to establish a large immigrant community on this plot of land. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, 
we know he doesn't get to because he gets pulled into the war as a captain and then later on gets promoted up the way to general as he's leading these troops and ultimately dies. Prior to settling in Fredericksburg, Virginia, Hugh Mercer is a member of the British Army and fights in the French and Indian Wars. Oh, so Mm. he has actual combat experience. He... British tactical Uh experience. One of the battles that he's known for is during the French and Indian War is the the battle for Fort Duchesne, which Fort Duchesne was a actual pivotal battle at the time, and it held a very strategic location um, for the French and the British based on it. Fort Duchesne was um, this outcropping of land right in the middle of three rivers that connected. And so if you control this one point, you can control all movement up and down these rivers. So now we're back into 1750. So in early 1750, French troops arrived in the Ohio Valley to build a series of forts, including Fort Duchesne. At the time, a young Virginian officer, George Washington, was sent to deliver a letter to the French demanding that the French leave that region altogether. The mission was ultimately a failure, but when passing through the region, Washington noted that the point of this land at the junction of the rivers was an excellent location for a fort. So it was actually George Washington, prior to the Revolutionary War, prior to the French and Indian War, was a land prospector. So Hmm. his history was he actually rode with British surveyors and he'd go out and he'd survey land in that entire like wild, their wild Western front. Mm -hmm. And so he got to know the land very well. He got to, you know, great leadership skills, survival skills, all these things. And so he was, he had a great eye for, terrain and value of land and property. So in early 1754, in response to Washington's suggestion to build a fort there, the British did build a fort there, called it Fort Prince George, but the French troops arrived because they saw its strategic placement, overran it, and then renamed it to Fort Duchesne. Mm -hmm. So having doubled back, now the British realize just how great of a location Fort Duchesne is, and under, I think, two battles... They fought to regain control of Fort Duchesne and who was part of those battles, but our friend Hugh Mercer. And that is where, that is one of the first battles of the French Indian War that we know Hugh Mercer was a part of. Hmm. Now, go backwards in time a little bit more. This is so cool. I'm just blown away by this guy. In the fall of 1746, Hugh Mercer comes to America on a ship that departed from Leith. Sorry, sorry, sorry. What year? 1746. 46. I just want to know how old he was. Do so you know? he died at age 50. Oh, okay. In 80. Oh. No, so January. So 30 years, about 30 years before his death. Yeah. So he's like. He's about 20. 20. Yeah, he's a young okay, kid. there we go. He's a young kid. Um, so he immigrated the U- to the U.S. through Philadelphia in 1746. And he immigrated while hiding and running for his life. Because prior to this, he was a member of the Jacobite Rebellion against the British and fought at the Battle of Culloden, which was the final battle that sealed the fate of the Jacobite Revolution against the British in Scotland. And in the Battle of Culloden, he fought and acted as a surgeon for the Scottish troops that were were fighting. I think it's Culloden. Culloden? Culloden? 
And so four years prior to that, he, he studied medicine at the University of Aberdeen, starting at the age of 15. Wow. So yeah. medicine. Young. Yeah. And then he immediately joined the cause of the Jacobites. He fought against the British. They lost. British were looking for him. He got on a boat, immigrated to Pennsylvania, tried to set down roots as an apothecary at that time as well. Yeah. Got roped up into the French and Indian War with working for the British this time because he's a medicine man, so he wants to help heal people. Ultimately, after the French and Indian War, settles down. Oh, he makes friends with George Washington in their French and Indian War. Then he settles down next to George Washington's hometown, gets to know his mom, sets up an apothecary, starts being really good friends with George Washington, launches into the Revolutionary War alongside his friend George, starts getting promoted from captain up to brigadier general. Um, ultimately, is the brain has the brainchild that launched the U.S. war into its victorious end state. Yeah, and dies, you know, just in a field <laughs> suffering musket yeah. wounds to the forces of the British general that we ultimately defeat in and kick off, kick off our continent. So anyway, I heard about this guy and I'm like, I've never heard of this man before, but he was so pivotal in so many events in our history. Mm-hmm. And when you look at Scotland, you think of like the Scottish enlightenment, is probably one of the main movements that even resulted in our American concepts of freedom and liberty, mm-hmm. religious liberties, like all these um, liberties that we hold dear now. Yeah, and then, and he's he's a he's a product of that. He he's he's a product of um, wanting to do, do to do good help people to have freedoms of his own take down the british take down take it to the british and he he spent almost you know probably 35 years of his life just fighting for freedoms for freedom and just a really uh, really cool figure so i wanted mm-hmm. to when i heard his story i i was like man this more people need to know about this it's pretty good i'd love for my kids to hear about him learn about him his entire span of life and what he chose to spend his time doing. Why am I getting emotional? Because Scotland. I'm not totally <laughs> sure. I don't know. And freedom. Cool. And freedom. Um, yeah, but it's inspiring. Well, and you chose to do the same. N- not really. I love Brits. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, anyway, cool guy, humor, sir. On the East Coast, there are a number of monuments and towns and counties named after him, so he's not totally forgotten. No, I knew about him. I didn't know he was Scottish. Yeah. And one of the coolest things about him that I haven't mentioned yet, he's one of the ancestors of General Patton, (laughs) (laughs) who's like just crazy guy. (laughs) Just a crazy guy. Yeah. I wonder if he's related to Matt Mercer, who is t- tying it back into Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> from earlier, one of the greatest uh, dungeon masters on the internet. He's the best <laughs> around. But also an incredible voice actor. The first person to ever voice Ganondorf in a video game. Oh, that's snap. why the name's familiar. You've brought him up on the podcast before. Yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. That's crazy. Well, so many people died at the Battle of Culloden. 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 
I believe it's collotted. Uh, like that's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So he was, I mean, he, from all accounts, he was, he worked up until the very last second and like until it was a done, done for thing. The British were rounding up anybody who had anything to do with supporting the, the Jacobites. And uh, he couldn't, he couldn't hide with his parents. His dad was a preacher, the Scottish church. I can't remember. Episcopalian. (laughs) Was that around? Presbyterian? Uh, Yeah, it might be Presbyterian. Oh yeah, or Protestant. One of those is literally the Church of Scotland, basically. Oh. Oh, Church of Scotland. Yeah. So he was Reverend William Mercer, minister of the Church of Scotland. Um, yeah, so he couldn't he couldn't stick around, so he just jumped on a boat <laughs> to Philadelphia. And, and if if he hadn't, <laughs> right? That's that's the big question. If he hadn't gotten himself in trouble identifying as as part of the Jacobite rebellion, if he hadn't jumped on that ship, if he hadn't met George Washington, that is, I mean, that is just a crazy ride. <laughs> that's yeah, that's a crazy ride. Fight against the British. Run away. Then run from them. Fight for the British. Yeah. Then fight against the British again. Yeah. Your entire life. And you're tied up with these amazing historical figures the whole time. Like you have. Yeah. You, you're fighting against kings and princes on the battlefield in Scotland. Clearly he had some complex feelings about the Hippocratic Oath. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a. If I have. If. When I have more time. There's a ton of letters between him and George Washington just spanning like that entire time period, like mm. 20 plus years, like letter from Hugh Mercer to George Washington, letter from George Washington to Hugh Mercer. And they talk about logistics and supply and also how his, how George's mom's doing. <laughs> Cause he took care of her. He, yeah. you know, he, while, while George moved up to, I don't know, do continental Congress stuff, maybe Hugh's back there taking care of his mom. Hmm. Pretty cool just <laughs> feels like people were, were were built different back then you know i mean 20 year old deciding i mean not saying we don't have people like this in, in current history but as a 20 year old to try, try to take that on literally jump shit not jump on a ship <laughs> get out of there but then to just continually be at the forefront of trying and it's it's not just him. There was so many of those men who were in that same position as him, who were responsible eventually for the Brits even needing to try to fight back the American right? Right. for the revolt even happening. There's hundreds, thousands of people who made that a necessity for the British. That sounds like a weird way to put it, but yeah, to be so principled, either either to be so principled or so like unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> Like, who knows what the actual mental state of this guy was, but just seeking, he obviously has a penchant for seeking excitement. Because I think being a battlefield surgeon, especially at the time, like how much medicine do you actually know? How many procedures do you have to like stop arterial bleeding? Oh, better stick a leech on that. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he had have some level of crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I think most of the Jacobites did. Jacobites. Jacobites. Yeah. Yeah, they had to have crazy people. I have a Jacobite shirt. <laughs> it's not very comfy. I don't, I don't love wearing it. <laughs> I don't yeah. 
too much chest hair. Yes. No. I like my chest being covered up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Dang it, that's what I was going to do. Oh, shoot. Do it. You're going to do it better. Thank you for being our brother. Wow, did that we might just be too energetic, that? though. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll take another run at it then. Okay. For, for being our brother. brother. <laughs> that, the first one was too energetic. <laughs> gotcha. For show notes, rock and merch, and other brother goodness, check out our website at anotherbrotherpodcast.com. Be sure to come back next week. And tell your friends so they too can become a brother over here, brother over there.